Hi, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Virginia Benson and I direct racial justice advocacy at the Massachusetts Law Reform Institute. And I am here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I wanted to also say that the Government Lawyers Forum Diversity, Equity and Inclusion section also brought together this forum. And I'd like to thank you, Noah, for all your assistance, Heidi Alexander from the SJS, SJC's uh, Committee on Lawyers Wellbeing for helping me organize this, as well as Michelle Grossfield from the Boston College Law School. Uh, we wanted to offer this program for three reasons. The first is because educational debt is a racial justice issue. Debt relief, such as student loan forgiveness programs, are one of several ways to redress the government's, uh, government's policies and um, societal discriminatory practices that created the wealth gap between the races. Educational debt attributes to the, uh, the growth and the racial wealth uh, inequalities in this country. Black, Hispanic, and Native American students are more dependent on borrowing to finance their education. Black students graduate with 13 uh, to 26 more percent in debt, respectively, than their white uh, counterparts. Some 80% of Black students take on federal student loans, as to around 60% of white students. A 2008 study found that after 15 years of after graduation, Black students held 186% more debt than white students. Women of color, oh, I'm sorry. Women of color um, shoulder a disproportionate share of this debt burden, and especially in legal education. So we wanted to bring this as a way to uh, further racial justice, um, and not only looking at wealth, at the racial wealth gap by looking at assets, but also by looking at the other side of the ledger, debt. Um, and given this reality, public interest careers can create. Uh, a real barrier and burden for professionals of color. Loan forgiveness can be an effective tool to not only attract, but to retain staff, BIPOC staff. Um, and lastly, it's immense, it can also be a mental health issue. You know, we know that financial stresses can cause a real burden on folks. And um, when, if you have more relief, uh, we can all perform our jobs better. And so I welcome you to today. Um, we have an incredible lineup panelists and I'd like to introduce them shortly. Um, and I just wanna say the goals for this session. First is sort of the understanding the parameters, limitations and requirement of the Federal Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program um, to clarify sort of concrete steps and best practices for employers and employees to secure the assistance have any of your questions answered, which is most important, and then identify resources. Um, and so we're gonna overview the program, provide uh, best practices for filling out the form, best practices for employers, and then answer your questions. So please feel free to, um, uh, throughout the program, to put your questions uh, in, their, in your function, as Noah had mentioned. Um, and so let me describe our short bios for our presenters today. Um, we have Aoife Delegar 
Gari, and I think I'm gonna mispronounce your last name, so you can please correct me. Um, she is a vice president of law school engagement and an advocacy at the Equal Justice Works, where she works with law school professionals, law students, and public interest community on issues involving, uh, including careers in public interest law, educational debt, and public loan forgiveness. Arwen um, Tauman is the deputy director insurance and financial service division at Massachusetts Attorney General's office and acts as a student loan ombudsman. Attorney Tommen has extensive experience helping student loan borrowers through her management of the AG Student Loan Assistance Unit. And lastly, but not least, is Ashley Norwood Strepham is the regional director Northeast for Access Lex Center for Education and Financial Capabilities. So I'm gonna pass it now off to Aoife for an overview of the uh, Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Thank you. Thanks, me and Virginia. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, stop sharing your screen so I can um, share mine. Thanks, me. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you to Virginia and Noah uh, for having me today. Um, I'm delighted I'm getting to talk alongside Ashley and Arwen. Um, hopefully, you can see my screen now. Can everyone see that? Perfect. Thanks, Ashley. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. I'm also going to have closed captioning on just in case we uh, need it. All right. So as Virginia said, my name is Eve Delagulo. Uh, I work at Equal Justice Works. Um, our mission is about mobilizing the next generation of passionate public service leaders. And one of the things that we work on is public service loan forgiveness. Uh, we are one of the leading allied members of the PSLF coalition. Um, Ashley at Access Let's is also a member of the coalition. Thank you very much. Um, together, uh, we are stronger. We know um, as one voice across public service professions talking about how important this program is to the communities across our nation. So if you do work in an organization that does want to be involved in the PSLF coalition, please feel free to reach out to me afterwards. Okay. So uh, my job today is to kind of give you a brief overview of the original PSLF program against the temporary waiver that was announced last October. So what are the basics of the original public service loan forgiveness program? This came about in 2007. Um, and in essence, the you know, Congress realized that individuals who work in public service make less um, than those uh, that work in the for-profit sector. And in order for us to have public servants that uh, are passionate and can remain in this um, work that they love, they do need assistance. So PSLF uh, came about and it's tax-free forgiveness, which is different to some of the income-driven repayment plans um, that you hear about. That is a taxable event uh, in the year that you're forgiven. So under um, this program, when you work 10 years or in essence, make 120 qualifying payments, you're able to earn forgiveness. Keep in mind that there's no enrollment in this program. It's not a case that you have to do it from, you know, you have to do something from day one. There are definitely some things that you can do along the way that will make your life easier. Uh, but there are things that you may have to do retroactively. And hopefully we'll be able to teach you about those today if uh, you do need to do that. But in essence, at that 10-year mark or at that 120th payment, uh, you're putting up your hand to the Department of Education and saying, I've earned this forgiveness. Um, you know, here is uh, the proof that I've earned it and hopefully your loans are forgiven. 
So under that original program, there were you know multiple hoops that you had to jump through simultaneously. And these are those hoops. Okay. So the payment for it to be qualifying under those 120 that you need, it had to be uh, after October 1st, 2007. Why is that date important? Because that's when PSLF came into being. The payment had to be towards a federal direct loan. Okay, so if you have private or state loans at this point in time, they're not eligible for public service loan forgiveness. Also, under the original program, you had to be enrolled in an income driven repayment plan. And that's, you know, a plan that's taking into account what you're making annually and that factors into what you're paying each month towards your student loans. So, you know, if you're making a small amount, uh, you may not be paying month to month, the, the base and the interest. So you might be paying off uh, more or longer um, under an income driven repayment loan or repayment plan, excuse me. But hopefully if you're on track for PSLF, you will be forgiven at that 120th payment. Borrowers also had to be working full time or at least 30 hours. And we'll unpack what that means in a minute. Um, and a borrower also had to be working at a qualifying employer. We're also going to unpack what they are in a minute as well. Um, and the payment had to be considered on time and paid in full. So this temporary waiver opportunity that came out last October, the Department of um, uh, Education announced that they were going to um, temporarily relieve or you know, waive some of those requirements for a year, okay? So this waiver ends this October, okay? It started last October, it's going to end in Halloween of 2022, okay? And the reason that it came about was because we knew, um, or the Department of Education knew that many individuals who had applied for public service loan forgiveness under the original program um, were having issues earning forgiveness. There was only about 16, uh, you know, thousand individuals had earned forgiveness. So by waiving some of these requirements uh, for this temporary period, um, they would be able to get more borrowers who misunderstood or, you know, um, were misled perhaps by servicers to believing that they wouldn't be able to earn forgiveness. So we know that the waiver is working to date. And um, we know that about 120,000 borrowers have earned or have, have earned over 7 billion in relief um, through this temporary waiver. So we're now going to look at the original program and the temporary waiver side by side, just so you can see what has been waived, okay, for this temporary period. So this is actually a screenshot um, from the Federal Student Aid website. So you can go and take a look at this. And they have um, really uh, fantastic FAQs that will walk you through, you know, many of the scenarios and questions that we will answer for you today. Um, but just keep in mind that that is a resource for you if you are, you know, concerned that your particular situation might mean that you're not eligible, you are eligible, okay? So keep that in mind. I'm gonna use um, this grid to just kind of unpack the high level um, how the original program and the temporary waiver are a little bit, you know, different. So under the original PSLF program, uh, borrowers who had FELL loans, federal family education loans, or Perkins loans were ineligible for forgiveness. But now under this temporary waiver, um, loans, uh, FELL loans and Perkins loans are going to be eligible to count towards 120 payments that you need. 
but you will have to consolidate um, before you know applying for public service loan forgiveness, getting assessed for this waiver in order for those payments to count. So keep that in mind. Um, payments in non-income driven repayment plans or the standard plans uh, did not count towards the uh, required 120 payments that you need. But now under this temporary waiver, payments that were outside of those RDI, IDR plans, excuse me, will count towards 120 that you do need. Late payments um, were you know, not considered um, a part of the 120 payments that you needed uh, for, the, um, for the program, but now late payments and partial payments are going to count towards the required 120 that you need to earn forgiveness. And finally, borrowers who consolidated their federal student loans to qualify for PSLF would lose all those previous payments towards 120. In essence, it restarted the clock. But we now know that under this temporary waiver, um, that those payments prior to consolidation will count towards the 120 that you need in order to earn forgiveness. So let's just unpack, um, you know, kind of the main points in finer detail now. So PSLF, who's eligible? Okay. Under the original program, it was student borrowers and parent plus borrowers who converted to direct consolidation loans. Now, under this temporary waiver opportunity, it is student borrowers. And there was some ambiguity around parent plus loans um, when this um, uh, uh, waiver was announced last October. But greater you know, um, verbiage has come out from the Department of Education and the FSA. And it's stating that a borrower with parent plus loans may consolidate their plus loans by themselves or with other federal student loans in order to gain access to an IDR payment plan for the purposes of the PSLF program. So qualifying loans. Under the original PSLF program, it was federal direct loans and direct consolidation loans that were eligible for relief under the PSLF program. But now under this temporary waiver, all federal loans are gonna qualify. So if you have a FEL, Perkin or other non-federal direct loan, you must consolidate into a direct, federal direct consolidation loan in order um, for you know, your case to be processed towards uh, this waiver in order to assess if you've gotten uh, to that 120th payment or a little bit closer to that 120th payment that you need. So under the uh, qualifying repayment plans, um, under the original program, it was income-driven repayment plans like pay-as-you-earn or revised pay-as-you-earn that were eligible, and also that standard 10-year fixed plan. That is counterintuitive. Why would I want to earn forgiveness if I've just paid off all my loans in 10 years? But what's important to point out here is that with that standard 10-year plan, um, if you started on that and then moved to pay as you earn or revise pay as you earn, those payments you made on the standard will count towards the 120 that you need in order to earn forgiveness. And under this temporary waiver opportunity, all repayment plans are going to be eligible. So qualifying employers, these have not changed between the original program and this temporary waiver. So if you work at a 501c3, um, you are working for a federal, state, local or tribal. And this also includes the military branches. Uh, you are an eligible um, individual for public service loan forgiveness. Peace Corps and AmeriCorps um, also are eligible employment for the purposes of public service loan forgiveness. And then there are other um, 
organizations that are not 501c3s but do work that the federal government believe is important. Um, there is a list um, on the FSA or you know, studentaid.gov website on this. Uh, it's a smaller group of, of organizations um, so it's harder to rely on but it is worth you know looking into that if you're changing jobs and you're moving into something that you think there's a bit of ambiguity around whether or not they would be eligible. So full-time employment. Um, this has not changed between the original program and the temporary waiver. If your employer considers you full-time, so an example, a teacher that you know doesn't teach during the summer, but is considered full-time um, with their employer, you're eligible for public service loan forgiveness. Or you at least have to show that you're working 30 hours a week, okay? So let's say I work 15 hours at a federal agency and then I work 15 hours at a 501c3. If I'm able to show that um, and that I'm making up to 30 hours a week um, of work, of public service work, I'm eligible for the program. So on time and in full payments. Under the original program, they were real sticklers about this. But under the temporary waiver, this has all been relaxed. So they are going to be counting those payments that you made, regardless of when they were made, if they were made on time or if they were on full, okay? Important points on repayments uh, status to remember for right now. For payments to count, your loan status had to be in repayment. Um, deferment uh, for the purposes of PSLF, um, there is, you know, an exception to the rule here with active military status um, and also COVID related forbearance right now. There is that suspension of payments. So if you're opting in for that, you have about 28 payments towards the 120 that you need that are technically zero for you but do count as one of the 120 that you need in order to earn forgiveness. Also under the original program, uh, in order for you to uh, earn forgiveness, you had to be employed by, the by a qualifying employer at the time of forgiveness. So if I was working at Equal Justice Works and then I decided to go and work at a private um, firm and I applied for forgiveness, uh, when I was working at the private firm, I wouldn't be eligible for forgiveness. I'd have to go back into public service and then apply. Under this temporary waiver, the borrower doesn't have to be employed full time at a qualifying employer um, at the time of forgiveness. So two other things to point out. These haven't changed, okay? Payments that are going to qualify. Anything that was, you know, any payment that you made before October 1st, 2007, that's not going to um, qualify uh, because PSLF didn't exist prior to that date. And also the total amount of payments that you need in order to earn forgiveness, the 120 that you need, that hasn't changed either, okay? So how are student loan payments going to be counted for the purposes of this limited waiver? Rather than going back and using the loan servicer's actual payment history for a borrower, they have, the Department of Education stated that they're going to be looking back and looking at your repayment status as it's been reported to FSA. So you may receive credits for any month after October 2007 that you had qualifying employment and you were in repayment uh, status. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I'm going to hand it over to Ashley. Um, I think you're next. 
Thank you. Just gonna share my screen. All right, perfect. So I just wanna give you a quick overview. I know this is a little clunky because we're jumping around from different organizations, but let you know who the heck we are at Access Lex Institute. We're a nonprofit organization that specifically works with law school students and um, young um, or new legal professionals. So we help them through financial education from transitioning from law school into their legal careers. And I specialize in the student loan area of this, uh, trying to assist people with this transition. So one of the biggest problems with the PSLF program in the past has been the paperwork. Lots of mistakes on the paperwork have caused people to be denied for the program over the years. So I'm just gonna go over what you need to know about the paperwork and how best to navigate the paperwork so that you're doing everything that you need to do. The paperwork is technically not required until after you've made 120 payments, but this paperwork is essential for you to keep track of your eligible payments. So you'll wanna do the PSLF form annually and anytime you change employers. That's because when you do the form, it's going to come back to you 30 to 60 days saying something like, you've made X amount of eligible payments or you've made no eligible payments and this is why, so that you can address the issue. So it's a lot easier to address a problem 12 months in instead of 120 months in. Many of those who have had trouble over the years with qualifying for PSLF never did this paperwork, weren't, you know, weren't advised this paperwork is something that they should be, be doing uh, regularly. And so by completing this paperwork, you're gonna set yourself up for success when it comes to the PSLF program. Whenever you get, anything back, back from whether it's federal student aid, your servicer, uh, make sure you keep copies of that. Whether you keep a printed copy in a filing cabinet or you just keep a document um, somewhere in your cloud, make sure you keep documentation of all the emails and all of the information, keep track of any phone calls you've made about this so that you can um, cover your basis when it comes to the program and your eligibility. This is a screenshot of what the form looks like. It's a fillable PDF that you can download from the FSA site. You put in your information. It does require a wet signature. No digital signatures will be accepted. So you'll need to actually print it, sign it, and you also need to give it to your employer. So someone in HR, the CFO, someone uh, who can verify your employment status for all the months that you worked there. By putting your first date of employment, let's say it was uh, July 1st, 2017, uh, and putting in through today, it'll allow you to get all of your eligibility listed there on the form. That form is then sent to the address on, I believe it's page four of the form, and they will process the form, take a look at your eligibility, um, take a look at how many months you've been working for an eligible organization full time, and compare it to your payment history. And so that's the basics of the form. It looks overwhelming because it's probably like 16 pages. You really only need to do the first two pages. A lot of it is um, just your demographic information, stuff about your employment. And you also have the PSLF help tool at your fingertips. This QR code on the screen will bring you to the PSLF help tool. By going to this tool in the FSA site, it's going to show it's going to lead you through like through skip logic of how to complete the form. And at the end of completing it, it's going to allow you to print it all filled out. So one of the things that a lot of people have also had the form 
rejected for was the EIN number of the employer. I couldn't tell you what my employer's EIN number is, so I'm sure it's something that you might have trouble finding. Um, the PSLF help tool has a list, a drop-down list of all of the employers who have already had employees who completed the PSLF form and were approved for PSLF payments. So it's not an all-encompassing list, but it is a large list of employers that keeps growing so that you can pull that information right from there. So it just makes it a little bit easier, takes a little bit more off of your plate to be worrying about. Actually, before I go into this, um, when it comes to the form, don't overthink it. You will need to use the, you will need to complete the form for every one of your employers. So if you have multiple employers right now, or you've had multiple employers in the past, your, your employer situation does not have to be consecutive. You can jump around from different employers throughout the 120 payments that you need to receive forgiveness. You'll just need to do paperwork for each one of those. So go through the PSLF help tool for all of the employers you've had in the past, and that will help you um, expedite everything. One thing, um, this, this form tends to be one of the log jams in the process. You are dependent on the HR representative from your company or a previous organization to complete it. So let them know you're sending it. If you can go over there in person and get it signed, that might be a way to expedite it. Uh, but if you ever have any questions, you can always, um, you can always come to, and we're all going to give our information about how to contact us. But I just want to put this here that we do have an advocacy page as part of our organization, hashtag make the case. And we do a lot of good work when it comes to advocating for opening up more eligibility for the PSLF program and advocating for borrowers in the PSLF program. So if you're ever interested in just making your voice heard, accesslex.org slash advocacy is a way to help you do that. And we do have coaching available. So if you are not sure how to complete the form, you're not sure about your eligibility or have some really specific questions about your specific situation, we do have accredited financial, financial counselors that you can set up a 30-minute phone call as many times as you need for free at accesslex.org slash accessconnect so that we can go over all of this with you. And now I'm going to stop sharing. I'm going to pass it over to Arwen. Hi everyone, just give me a moment here. Okay, can everyone see my screen? Uh, I'm yes. great. <laughs> I'm Arwen Thoman. I am the Deputy Director of the Attorney General's Insurance and Financial Services Division, and I serve as the state's student loan ombudsman. And we run a unit that helps individual borrowers uh, explore and navigate repayment options, including public service loan forgiveness and resolve problems uh, with loan servicers. I'm here today to talk a little bit about how employers should um, promote and take advantage of the limited PS, the PSLF program and the limited PSLF waiver. So I'm having trouble advancing my slides. <laughs> okay, so first off, I'd 
I'd like to start by noting that it, it really is in your employer, your, your organization's interest to promote PSLF. Um, we all know that the ever-mounting threat of student loan debt is weighing a heavy toll, uh, heavy, it's weighing heavily on borrowers and can affect their career choices and drive them away from more meaningful but lower paying public service careers in favor of more lucrative private sector employment. Uh, student loan debt, as Virginia noted, is also a racial justice and an equity issue, and it, it may actually be affecting you know, who, can, who can afford to work for your organization. Um, as, as Virginia sort of highlighted, student loan debt is disproportionately you know, burdens women uh, who hold two thirds of, of federal loan debt and uh, people of color. Uh, black borrowers hold almost a quarter of all outstanding student loan debt. For qualifying public service employers, the PSLF program can be a, a powerful employee recruitment and retention tool and, and may serve to broaden who can actually afford to work in public service. The PSLF program is effectively a, a federal subsidy to a qualified employer's compensation, and it is the most generous federal loan forgiveness program available. The average amount for giving is uh, a staggering $90,000. And as other speakers have noted, uh, that's tax-free. But you know, as an employer, you need to understand that your employees uh, will, you know, they may need help in order to, to access and succeed with PSLR. Marlon, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Um, you're sharing the presenter view oh, and not you. the um, slide view. Okay, thank you. I'm not sure how to fix that. <laughs> I believe if you um screen share again, oh okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, yeah. From the, yeah, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you should be able to, yeah, so present to you. And then that should come up just for you. Okay, yeah. thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. Apologies for that. Okay, so as you've heard today, and as many of you have uh, probably experienced firsthand, the PSLF program has had a troubled history. Uh, due to complexity and poor administration of the program, millions of public service workers have been unable to access loan forgiveness, often because they had the wrong loan type or made payments under a non-qualifying repayment plan. The limited waiver is the, Depart the US Department of Education's effort to sort of fix all that. Um, it's an amazing opportunity for borrowers to get credit for past years of public service employment. But the waiver is going to end on October 31st, 2022, and that's just you know, five months from now. Um, by that time, your employees really have to do two things. First, they have to consolidate into the direct loan program, as, uh, as has been noted, if they don't already have direct loans. And you know, keep in mind that your employees really may not know what type of federal loans they have. This, is, this can be like a, you know, a non-trivial hurdle. Um, secondly, they have to certify all their qualifying employment since October 1, 2007, the start date of the PSLF program, by filing PSLF forms signed by their employers. These are often referred to as employment certifications. Um, and then after the waiver ends on October 31st, 2022, to keep earning credit towards loan forgiveness, 
many of your employees will have to begin complying with the more onerous uh, traditional PSLF requirements. I would strongly suggest that all of you consider sending an email to your employees um, specifically about the PSLF limited waiver. I've created a sample template email that employers can adapt sort of for their own use. Um, and I believe that the template will be distributed later today to, to attendees. You can sort of see a small image of it here, but, um, but we really think it's important that you, that you promote this, this limited waiver opportunity. Um, while the content is included in our, our sample email, uh, employers should also you know, consider directing employees to resources that are available on the limited waiver. Uh, the Department of Education maintains a very helpful website uh, with all sorts of great FAQ. Um, the PSLF Coalition, who spoke earlier, is regularly conducting free live webinars for, for folks to, to sit through and, and learn more about the waiver. Uh, the Student Bar Protection Center, uh, another nonprofit advocacy organization, has published videos on how to access PSLF, including step-by-step -step tutorials that like really break down the steps you have to take on, you know, how to identify your loan types, how to consolidate, and how to certify your employment. And finally, Ashley's organization, Access Lex Institute, um, is also offering free webinar assistance to folks who are, who are pursuing PSLF and the limited waiver. I would also urge that as employers, um, that you just that you consider just completing and sending employment certifications to, to all of your employees. Um, you know, theoretically, you could even attach these completed forms to the email that you send them about the limited waiver opportunity. Uh, the PLSLF form, as you saw from Ashley's presentation, is actually like pretty straightforward. Um, Employers really only need to complete page two. It's some pretty basic information that's being requested. And then they could go ahead and send the, you know, the rest of the entire form onto the, you know, the employee in, in PDF format. Um, and just, I guess, stepping back here for a moment from the waiver, um, as a general matter to sort of promote employee success with PSLF, I really think that the best practice is for employers to send completed PSLF forms to employees each year. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want to wait for your employees to come to you asking about PSLF once they've been working for your organization for five years. And, and I say this because as Ashley highlighted, submitting a PSLF form is really the single best way for your employees to find out if they're on track for PSLF and to correct any problems before it's too late. Um, submitting a PSLF form will allow employees to find out, for example, that, you know, they have a long qualifying loan type or to see that their payments aren't counting, and then you know, hopefully get to the bottom of exactly why that's the case. Um, you know, so, so keeping in mind that you know, while the waiver is making things really easy sort of looking back, um, when the waiver ends in October, there's, there's, going to, there's, there's almost certainly going to be a return to much stricter uh, rules about what counts as a qualifying payment towards loan forgiveness under PSLF. So again, we just think that, you know, regularly sort of establishing this pattern of getting this form out to employees um, so that they're submitting it to their loan servicers and finding out what's going wrong, if anything, uh, is, is a very important step to take and is, is a really a great way to promote the PSLF program. And then, um, you know, finally, I have a few other ideas about how employers might 
consider promoting PSLF uh, to employee to, to employees, and you know how it might enable them to uh, improve employee recruitment and retention. Um, you know, one thing to potentially do is to advertise in your job postings and on your websites that you know your positions qualify for PSLF, presuming that that's the case. Um, you know, providing information about PSLF and new employee orientations and, and, and paperwork, um, you know, making it sort of known around the office and, and, and emails and newsletters. If you, you know, if your organization does sort of wellness events, um, even potentially talking about it with people at annual reviews, you know, ma make sure that your employees understand the program and know what counts as a qualifying payment towards loan forgiveness. Um, another thing you might want to consider doing is, you know, sending out anonymous sur surveys to sort of gauge interest and help your organization decide if you want to, to potentially, you know, bring in a PSLF advisor or have a day that's sort of dedicated to, to filling out employment certification forms. Um, you could also consider appointing a, a PSLF point person at your organization who, you know, is able to provide guidance and answer questions for employees. This could be someone in your HR department or someone who's actually been through the process uh, themselves. And lastly, you could, you know, set up a talk or workshop. Um, you could do it with, with our office or, you know, or another nonprofit student loan advocacy organization. And with that, I will uh, turn it back over to Virginia. All right. Hi, everyone. So that's great. We have 20 minutes to, I know there's a lot of questions and answers in um, the Q&A, so please feel free to keep adding them. Um, I don't know if we can see if you raise your hand. So I don't know if folks wanted to walk through some of the answers we've already given. There's some kind of repeat questions. So um, I don't know if, if you wanted to, I know you answered some questions in the chat, but one maybe wanted to just uh, say them out loud so folks can hear it because there's some kind of repeat questions. Yeah, um, happy to do that. Uh, so um, I know that a couple of uh, individuals asked about, um, you know, the suspension of, of payments um, under the, the CARES relief. So obviously, you know, uh, the Trump administration at the beginning of the pandemic uh, suspended student borrower payments, and that has uh, been continued multiple times by the Biden administration. Um, you know, in April, they announced that uh, the suspension of payments will be extended again. Um, it was supposed to start in May. It has now been extended to October 31st. So we do have to, um, you know, assume that come October 31st, September 1, uh, payments will begin, you know, collection could uh, begin um, on defaulted loans. So keep that in mind. Um, but from March, 2020 until August of 2022, that's 28 months, where if you were opting into COVID forbearance, you were paying zero, but that was counted as a payment towards the 120 that you need in order to earn forgiveness. Um, so that was one of the questions that we got. And um, a couple of times in uh, the Q&A feature, um, what other questions did we get? In the crew. Um, so just, you know, I want to emphasize that, you know, if, if you think you are, you know, six months or six years away from earning forgiveness or eight, you know, you've worked in public service for eight years and you haven't done any of these steps that we've talked about, or maybe you've done some of them, it is worth getting that form in now before October 31st, 
in order to make sure that your, your case is getting assessed for, were there payments in the past that were considered ineligible that are now eligible under this temporary waiver that will bring you closer to the 120 that you need? So, you know, there are, of course, people that are going to get forgiveness under this waiver during this time period, but don't see this temporary waiver of, I can't get relief uh, before, you know, if, if my loans aren't close to that being forgiven near that October 31st date. Rather, you just need to do a step now to make sure that you're in that group of individuals that are getting assessed under this waiver, under these new requirements, by getting that form in before October 31st of this year. So it's really important that if you haven't done it in a while, that you do do it. Also keep in mind, you know, um, you will be able to see within your account. Um, and if you haven't updated your, um, you know, your FSA account in a while, please do that because the Department of Education will want to contact you. So if your information isn't up to date, um, that's a bad thing. Um, but when they do assess your case, they are going to um, you know, justify in, in a situation if they have said this payment that you made doesn't count. They are going to explain to you why. If you disagree with that and you have evidence to prove that that should count towards the 120, there are steps that you can take. You know, um, the Student Borrower Protection Centre have a huge list of state-based resources on their website. You can also submit a complaint with them if you want to. Um, and then you could go to that stage if you're not getting, um, you know, the answers that you need to actually making um, a complaint directly to um, the Department of Education's Ombudsman. Um, you can submit a complaint over the phone or um, through their online form, which I shared on another um, yeah, question. So keep in mind there are um, uh, steps that you can take in order to escalate um, if you're having any sort of uh, issues with the 120 count that they're doing for you. But again, you know, the Department of Education is working through this. There are going to be people who submit the form before October 31st, but don't hear anything until after that date, because there are so many of these that they're getting and that's okay, okay? So we just have to give them time to get through everyone. So that's a great point, because I think there were a couple of questions. Even if you haven't made 120 payments as of today, you should still be submitting these PSF um, forms um, to the government now? Yeah, I think um, recently the Department of Education, you know, stated that m the average borrower is going to pick up about 12 months of payments under this waiver assessment. So if you're getting closer, that's great. Um, you're getting closer to the goal that you need um, of 120. Uh, so definitely if you're, you know, if you know that you don't have 10 years worth of service, yes, that's okay, definitely submit that form to make sure that you are getting assessed for previous payments that might have been considered eligible um, under this waiver. Okay, and there was questions about consolidation. So can you guys, um, um, maybe Arwen, can you talk about consolidation here? Uh, somebody said that they had a staff for them with a very low interest rate, so concerned about, um, the impact of consolidating at this point. So do you have to reconsolidate if you consolidated your Stafford loans back, um, I think it was back in 2007 or before 2007, uh, would you have to reconsolidate if your loans are already consolidated? So the, the real reason that you have to consolidate is if you have any type of federal loan that is not a direct loan. 
Um, federal loan borrowers can have several different types of federal loans, including loans made under what's called the Federal Family Education Loan Program, FFEL program, um, and Perkins loans, and then they can also have direct loans. And if you have a FEL program loan or a Perkins loan, you must consolidate it into the direct loan program. You need to file that application before um, October 31st of 2022 in order to get credit for payments um, made on those loans through the waiver. Um, now, consolidation, uh, your consolidation loan will have um, a weighted average interest rate relating to the, the loans that were consolidated, which is then rounded up to the nearest one eighth of 1%. Um, in some cases, uh, consolidation could potentially be to a borrower's advantage, even if they don't have a Fell or Perkins loan. In other words, even if they, they don't strictly speaking need to consolidate, um, it might be to your benefit to consolidate in, in a couple different circumstances. One is if um, some of your loans have been in repayment longer than others, and you've had uh, intervening public service. So, you know, if you took out undergraduate loans, worked in public service, and then took out graduate school loans, um, consolidation loans through the waiver are going to be credited with the, with the underlying loan that had the largest number of payments. And so, you know, if you have this combination of older loans and newer loans with intervening public service, it might be to your benefit to consolidate to maximize your waiver benefits. But again, as long as your loans are direct loans, you don't have to consolidate. Um, another reason to consolidate would be a, a parent plus borrower. If they have their own student loans to throw into the consolidation, they might be able to get waiver benefits by consolidating. Um, but the one caveat I would add about consolidation, if you don't have to do it, in other words, if you don't, you know, if you, if you don't have a fell loan that you need to, or a Perkins loan that you need to bring into the direct loan program is that, um, refunds are only available on direct loans and, and, and on, on existing direct loans. So if you have, you know, a ton of payments on existing direct loans, more than 120, you don't want to consolidate because that could jeopardize your refund. I know that was probably TMI, but. <laughs> that was helpful. Um, and I just wanted to share that we'll be sharing um, the PowerPoints and the presentation. Uh, Noah circulates those um, after um, today. Um, and so somebody wanted, had a quote, oh, I think Ashley is typing the answer, but wanted to cl uh, clarify, is that submitting the PSF um, form? I just moved here. Sorry. Um, Virginia, that's because I submitted it. Oh, okay, she submitted. Sorry, I was like, wait, it just lost. I just lost the act to that question. Yeah. So the the question was if if you can when do you have to complete the form to be to be considered for these more generous PSLF waiver terms? And the answer is October thirty first. You have to absolutely complete the form by that date. If you have to consolidate as well to become eligible, you'll need to do that by that point as well so that you get everything in under that um, deadline. Um, and then there's a question about the flexibility of full-time requirements. So do they consider the years of working part-time while making payments? Um, how about if you were working 28 hours, but your employer um, considers that full-time? Can you talk about the flexibility with full-time requirements? So there really isn't a whole lot of flexibility. Um, nothing under 30 hours will ever count. Um, that is the base, that's the base minimum. Um, if your employer considers eligibility for full-time, or it considers employees eligible at 40 hours and nothing less and you work 36 hours per week, 
then you are not eligible because you need to be you need to be a full-time employee. The weird loophole with that is if you work with for two eligible employers, if you're working um, for two part-time positions and you cobble together uh, an average of 30 hours per week, that would be eligible, even though one employer doesn't consider that, doesn't consider less, less than 40 hours eligible, that makes sense. It does. Um, here's another question. What happens going forward post waiver? Example, if not on income repayment now, but get foreman qualify under waiver for past payments, do future payments stop counting in October or do they continue to count at the same employer and payments? This is this is really a you know an important issue, um, which is that you know after October 31st of 2022. Um, you're going to need to comply with traditional or, or the, the PSLF requirements that are then in effect. Um, the department is engaged in a negotiated rulemaking process relating to PSLF right now, which means they're planning to promulgate new regulations. Um, we're, you know, we're hopeful that they will be, uh, will be a less onerous setup than what people have had to deal with in the past. But um, in order to continue earning credit towards forgiveness, after October 31st of 2022, you must comply with, with regular PSLF requirements. And that's likely going to mean, you know, repaying under a qualifying repayment plan, meaning an income-driven plan, um, paying on time, paying in full. But you will take with you, you know, forward into the future, your updated payment count from the waiver. Great, thanks, Arwen. Um, and then we have a clarifying question. Someone was asking, did I hear correctly that under the waiver, we don't have to be employed in a qualifying job when we apply for forgiveness? And will that end after October? So I don't know, Aoife, if you wanna take that one. Yeah, so under this temporary waiver, you technically don't have to be, um, you know, uh, working at a 501c3 federal you know, uh, government agency at the time of forgiveness technically under this temporary waiver when it ends um that may no longer be the case it may revert back to the original program um where you did have to be working for a qualifying employer i think that's a very arbitrary thing to happen i'd say the department of education is probably thinking about that um with this kind of next iteration of what comes next with october 31st but if we look you know in black and white in the text that, that is a gray area that we don't know about at this point in time. Okay, great. Thanks so much for answering that. Um, we have another question about, can you explain how they change the servicer when you submit the PSLF form? So I don't know, Ashley, if you wanna jump in on, on that question. So when you, um, when you complete the form, let's say you're with a servicer that does not handle PSLF um, and you submit the form directly to the address on the form, it's going, you're gonna get something back saying, congratulations, you've made some eligible payments. We're going to automatically transfer your loans over to this servicer. And at this point, it's actually going to be the servicer Mohila. Previously it was Fed Loan Servicing, but Fed Loan Servicing is um, transitioning out of the federal program. So you're gonna be transfer transferred over to Mohila, you don't have to do anything hands-on with that. If you had automatic payments set up with your previous servicer, you will have to get those set up again, but uh, the repayment plan you were on will still be there. 
Uh, if you are, if you were in the the middle of a income driven repayment year making payments those will those won't you won't have to complete another form for that um, it should be pretty seamless okay great thank you all right so it looks like we've gotten through a bunch of questions uh, here today thank you so much we've got 25 questions answered um, with no open questions currently oh maybe one just popped in let's see all right, so here is a specific question. So we might all wanna take a look at this, but uh, this is from an employer, it looks like. They've had several employees that are on fellowships where they're directly paid by the law school. So uh, BC, where I work, has fellowships like this. Uh, Boston University does as well. Um, and they're paid there for a year to work in that organization, but have since transitioned to staff attorneys at uh, the organizations where they're placed. Would they fill out a form for one year as employed by the law school and a separate form for year two onwards with our organization? Or could we, the nonprofit, do the form for the full year since they were a fellow with, with our organization? So I can just say as someone who works at a law school that has one of these fellowships, um, that at least the way our fellowship works you are considered an employee of the law school during your fellowship year. So, you know, I'll leave it open to our experts here to, to add in any other pointers, but depending on how the fellowship works, if the uh, fellow is considered an employee of that university, then they would be eligible for PSLF because the university is a nonprofit, but the university's HR office would fill out the form. So I'm not sure if uh, anyone else wants to to jump in with this, Aoife. Yeah, Mich Michelle, that would be my instinct as well. So unfortunately for that fellow, they technically have two different employers, even though it was the same kind of experience. So for that one year, you know, get the law school to fill it out for that, those second, um, second years, the civil legal aid or post organization will fill it out um, if they're paying the individual directly. Okay, great. Whoever, whoever issues the W-2 is the one who needs to fill out the form. Thank you. Thank you both. That's great. Those are good tips just to kind of clarify. And I'm sure you can also check with your, your law school uh, career services office if you're, if you're not um, sure. So we have two more questions. I think that's all we're going to have time for before the end of the program. Um, but one of them is, what if I made payments on a qualifying federal loan when I was not working at a qualifying employer, but then switched to a qualifying employer uh, such as government? Uh, and refinanced with a private loan. Can I combine the qualifying payments and the qualifying employer, even though they weren't at the same time? Arwen looks like she right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> nope. Okay. And in fact, if you've consolidated a federal loan into a private loan, um, that's sort of an irreversible step that sort of disqualifies you from PSLF entirely. Which is another thing for employers to be wary of is, you know, promoting any kind of private, any kind of refinancing with, with purely private lenders to your employees um, can be a, you know, very dubious uh, thing to do because, because it disqualifies people from PSLO. Thanks. That's, that's very helpful information. Good tip there for those listening. Um, and then Arwen, this last one is for you. Can you explain the Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts Attorney General's lawsuits against the servicers? So I don't, I don't know if that's a. <laughs> sure. I'm happy to provide a quick overview. You know, our office has um, taken action against several servicers, um, including Fed Loan Servicing, 
for um, errors in administration of the of the PSLF program, um, delays in processing income-driven repayment applications. Um, we've also pursued Navient for a practice known as forbearance steering. Um, in other words, Navient would allegedly put borrowers into, into forbearance, offer them sort of this quick and easy solution of forbearance rather than taking the time to counsel borrowers about the intricacies and, and how to apply and the potential benefits of uh, income-driven repayment plans. Okay, great. Thank you for uh, that, that overview and the advocacy of your office. That's great to hear. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. We hope that this was very informative to employees of organizations that qualify for PSLF and to uh, employers and give you some good tips for how to encourage your employees to take advantage of this program, how to promote this program at your office, how to recruit uh, those who might want to work at your office through this program, and also how to encourage diversity, equity, and inclusion within your office, a diverse workforce, um, and to make sure that your staff knows about these opportunities. So uh, we hope it was very helpful to you. We are so uh, thankful to our experts on PSLF and loan repayment. Arwen, thank you so much for joining us. Aoife and Ashley, uh, it is wonderful to have you all uh, working on advocacy around this really, really important program that so many of us uh, rely on and take advantage of. And we are thankful to the BBA as well and those who co-sponsored with us and, and Noah Williams especially. Um, and, a, and a huge thanks to Virginia Benzin for uh, leading us in this program and uh, providing this opportunity for us to speak to you all today. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. <laughs>